you seek your copy of God's Word, let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Our text this morning, verses 13 to 16 of Matthew 5. As we finish up this brief series here in January, uh, thinking about what God's called us to be and do here at IPC. Uh, certainly through preaching and teaching and living life together and shepherding, we want this gospel of God's grace to change us and transforming our characters, our calling, our cultures, and this morning, our, our community. Next week, uh, my direct predecessor, former senior pastor here, Richie Sessions, will be with us for our missions conference. And then on the 11th, uh, we'll begin working our way through the book of Acts. Uh, I've never preached through Acts before. I'm very much looking forward to seeing how God calls his people on mission um, and through witness, prayer, and, and suffering. Uh, and that'll, those will be themes we'll see over and over and again through Acts, through 2024, and into 2025. But this morning we come uh, with another way of getting at mission, that, that God, having transformed us by his grace, calls us into his world so that we begin to see our, our communities change, uh, to look differently, because of course we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world. But in order to hear that well and apply it to our hearts and lives, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come confessing our great need of you, our help to even understand the reading of Scripture, much less the explanation and application of it to our hearts and lives. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would open our eyes of faith this morning, open our hearts so that we might hear glorious riches from this portion of your gospel. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was a younger pastor, some two decades now uh, ago, uh, I, I read a book that profoundly impacted me that centered on a question that has haunted me from that day to this day. Uh, the book was by a pastor named Robert Lewis, who was the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the book was called The Church of Irresistible Influence. I think that book hit me 20 plus years ago now because it spoke to many of my questions about my own church experience uh, after my parents came to Christ when I was 10 years old. The churches that we attended were fabulous at preaching and teaching the Bible. They did a really good job. They did a good job of, of caring for their members. But, but in terms of community impact, it, it was far more difficult to measure it seemed as though the, the churches of which we were part and of which I was uh, on staff as a non-ordained person um, 
we seem to measure our impact, to put it in most crass terms, with bodies and bucks. How many people showed up? How many dollars in the offering plate? But the question that Lewis asked in his book uh, haunted me then, haunts me now, and it was simply this. If your church were to disappear tomorrow, disappear without a trace, would anyone in the community notice? It's a great question. If IPC were to disappear tomorrow without a trace, and this property were to turn into a bunch of zero-lot homes, would anyone really miss us? It's not just a great question. It's a pertinent one as well. Because there are a lot of churches in Memphis that were once thriving congregations that no longer exist. I'm part of a, a, a Facebook group that, that has the felicitous title, Things That Aren't in Memphis Anymore. Um, it's actually kind of cool. I, I have learned a lot about our city's history, like the Mall of Memphis. I, like, I didn't know that was a thing. Um, some of you undoubtedly knew it was a thing, but I had no idea it was a thing, you know, in my eight years of being here. Um, all kinds of things uh, going back into the, the early years of Memphis that show up in that group. What's striking is that anytime there's something posted in that Facebook group, there are hundreds of comments. Oh, I remember that, or I remember going there, or I remember eating there, or wherever it was, except when churches are posted. Lots of churches get posted in that Facebook group. Very few comments of remembering even the church existing, much less the impact made on the community. I wonder, if, if IPC were to show up in that Facebook group, things not in Memphis anymore, would anyone remember that we made an impact? I hope so. Because when God's grace transforms us, transforming our characters, making us new from the outside, from the inside out, taking those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and raising us up and making us princes and princesses with God, setting us free to love our neighbors, anyone in our path with humility and grace and joy. I say when that happens, it should make an impact outside of our walls. Our community, our city will not be finally transformed until Jesus returns on the last day. There should be signs. There should be hints or, or nudges towards that new city that's coming. Why? Because we're salt and light in this world. That, that's what Jesus tells his followers here in this passage in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Salt and light impact things. Salt and light affect and change things. They drive back the darkness. They hold things together. They preserve and purify. They, they, they do work. And they do that work until Jesus returns. And that's who we are. Because God, through Jesus, by the Spirit, has changed us, has transformed us. Not because we're so great, but because of his grace. There are two ways in which those transformed by grace impact the community around us, according to this passage. Two ways, preservation and proclamation. Preservation and proclamation. First, preservation. Look at verse 13. Jesus says, you are the light of the, or excuse me, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, again, to restate this, Jesus isn't saying here, you must be salt of the earth. That's not what he said. Nor is Jesus saying here, you will be salt of the earth someday. No, he says instead, you are the salt of the earth. This is another way of emphasizing our identity. Jesus is telling us who disciples are. So so what did Jesus mean here? Why does he say that we as disciples are the salt of the earth? Well, while today we use salt to to flavor our food, in the ancient Near Eastern world, and indeed for, for centuries beyond that, salt was valued to prevent the decay of meat. Salt was a preservative. It held back putrefaction in foods. And so implicitly, Jesus is saying that apart from the disciples in the world acting as salt, the world turns ever rottener. Christians have the effect of delaying moral and spiritual putrefaction. But but here's the thing. If salt becomes impure, as it often did in the ancient Near Eastern world, if if it loses its saltiness, in the words of the passage, then it loses its preservative value. It becomes worthless. It's just thrown out. It's good for nothing. And that means then that if you and I conform to the world around us, if we end up living just like those dead in trespasses and sins, clinging to the world, the flesh, and the devil from which we've been set free, then, then we won't be able to hold back the evil. We won't be able to preserve the world's in which we live, the circles in which we participate. Well, let me say this a little bit more clearly. Uh, if the only visible difference between you as a believer in Jesus Christ and the secular people that you mix and mingle with every day, if the only difference is, is that periodically you go to church and periodically you put money into the offering plate, that will not serve to preserve this world. Won't, won't preserve our city, won't hold back the evil of others. But that's not who you are. There is a difference between you and the world around you. You are the salt of the earth. Where does that salt go? Well, salt is distributed. It's scattered. It's disseminated. It's it's shared. That's how salt makes a difference. And so it is for you and me. We are distributed throughout our worlds, throughout the city. We're scattered, we're disseminated so that our respective cultures and circles and and spheres, in those places, we hold back the evil around us. We preserve the good and we point others to our good, good savior, Jesus. Friends, many of you move in circles that I and the other pastors, we will never be part of. You run corporations and you serve on boards. You belong to clubs and other civic organizations. You serve on political campaigns. You work in city commissions. You teach in schools. You participate in parent-teacher organizations. Well, as Jesus scatters us through this city, it's for the purpose of preserving this place and these people, holding back the evil, serving the good in your workplace and on those boards and in your clubs and civic organizations and campaigns and city commissions and your school and with those parents. 
So what impact do you make? What impact do we make? We should make an impact. After all, you are the salt of the earth, scattered throughout this city for preservation. But Jesus doesn't simply call us salt. No, he says, you are the light of the world. And you are light for the purpose of proclamation. Look at verse 14, what Jesus says. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so how does Jesus picture us here as, as lights? Well, he, he pictures us, first of all, as cities set on a hill. In the same way that cities, because they are lights collected, shine into the darkness for miles and miles away, so, so do we as disciples. As we are collected, as lights in the world, we collectively push back the darkness. And people can see us for a long way off. A few weeks ago now, our officers went out to Victory Ranch out in Bolivar for our officers' retreat. If you haven't been out to that camp recently, it had been years since I had been out to Victory Ranch. Y'all, it is way out there. It, you are in the country. Like, I was actually worried that I was in the middle of nowhere and I was never going to get back home. You know, I was going to, I was thankful I had, my, I had a flare in my truck. I could shoot it up and Sarah would come and find me somehow. When you're out that far in the country, you can, it's really dark. Like, aside from the lights uh, of the bunkhouses, I was standing out by the parking lot trying to tell the guys where to park and where to set their stuff down in the bunkhouses. It was like pitch black, dark. You could see the stars pretty good, but it was, the dark kind of enveloped you, except when you look to the west. I mean, even though Memphis was about 60 miles away, you could still see the faint glow of the city if you looked in that direction. Because, of course, that's what, that's what cities are. They're, they're collections of light. And they push back the darkness. And that's, that's you and me. That's how Jesus pictures us. We are lights collected together like a city on a hill. And we push the darkness back. But there's a second way in which Jesus pictures us. He pictures us as, as lamps on a stand. In, in the same way that you, you wouldn't light a lamp to, to push back the darkness in your house and set it under a basket and hide it. No, you, you, you set the light up on a stand so it, it drives back the darkness and people can see by it. So you and I are. That's what disciples are. Now, I, I have this whole routine when I go to shut down the house. Um, I, I begin at about 8.30, right? That's about time to go to bed for me. Uh, and so we start shutting down the house and I work from the back of the house to the front of the house. I lock the back door. I start turning off lights. Even though it's just Sarah and I, I feel like my dad, I want to cry out. What do you do? Think I own the electric company or something? Let's turn off all the lights in here. But I don't say it. I just start turning off the lights. Uh, and then I get to the front of the house, make sure the front door is locked and I go upstairs. There's two lights though. I don't turn out. The, the little light above the sink in the kitchen and the, the light that is the lamp on top of our china cabinet in the dining room. Uh, those two lights up high cast off an, a remarkable amount of light. 
And they, they push back the darkness, which is great, because I don't want to come downstairs at 1 o'clock in the morning if there's a bump in the house and have the house be pitch black. So those bright lights up high, set on stands, if you will, they push back the darkness. Well, that's who you are. That's who I am. We, we are lights set up high, driving the darkness back so that the world might see. But what does this mean? I mean, if, if the image is the light putting, pushing back the darkness, what is it about the disciples that caused Jesus to compare them, and by extension, you and me, to light? Well, Jesus connects light to us by talking about our characters, and especially our characters as they're displayed in good works. As, as our characters are on display, working the works of God prepared beforehand for us to do, we actually proclaim God's glorious, transforming grace, and we shine light. That, that's what Jesus says. Look at verse 16. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Notice, let your light shine before others and that they may see your good works. Those are in parallel. If you want to know what letting your light shine before others looks like, well, it looks like these very good works of which Jesus speaks. So the question then becomes, well, what are these good works? Well, certainly we can say in the most general way, they're the good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. Ephesians 2.10. Remember, we looked at that passage at the beginning of this series. You are God's masterpiece. You're showing the world that this is what it looks like when God makes us new creations, when the old has passed away and the new's come. Well, what does that look like? It looks like doing the good things that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. But, but in the larger context of the Sermon on the Mount, in which this passage finds itself, chapters 5 to 7 of Matthew's Gospel, I, I actually think that the good works are much more specific. I think these good works are mercy and compassion forgiveness and peacemaking, purity towards God, purity towards others. The good works are, are setting aside anger, seeking reconciliation instead, preserving our marriages and not rushing to seek a divorce, keeping our promises, not retaliating against evil. These good works include not worrying, praying to our Father in heaven, giving to the needy, and above all, these good works include hearing the words of Jesus and obeying them. Not only doing miracles, as in chapter 7, verse 21, but proclaiming to others in our words and in our actions that we are followers of Jesus. That we are his disciples. That's what these good works are. And these good works of God's people, they're attractive. Not, not just in the sense of being beautiful, but these good works actually attract people. They, they bring people in. They, they draw people to the light because we're a city set on a hill. We're a lamp set on a stand. And we're there to draw people to the light. And Jesus, of course, is the light of the world. And when people are drawn to Jesus, what's the result? They give praise to the Father in heaven. You see, that... That proclamation of God's glory and grace is proclaimed as we do these good works that God has prepared beforehand for us to do. When our words and our actions match, they actually draw others to proclaim God's glory and grace. As we live out of love, as we live humbly, 
It's attractive. Of course, that's exactly what God had promised all the way back in the Old Testament. In Isaiah chapter 60, starting in verse 1, the prophet Isaiah said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations will come to your light. And kings, to the brightness of your rising. How does that happen? It happens when, when disciples live as disciples. When you and I display the very character of Jesus as we're transformed by his grace, we participate in God's mission. We participate in God's mission to the world and nations shall come to God's light shining through you. Kings will be attracted to God's light shining through you. Christ will extend his rule, his reign. God, by his grace, has changed you. And that should make a difference to the people around you. So that if we aren't here, if IPC were to disappear tomorrow without a trace, people would miss the salt of the earth. People would miss the light of the world. They would notice a difference if IPC weren't here. Because, friends, you are God's masterpiece. You are transformed by his grace and you are sent out, scattered out into this world to be part of God bringing at least a few steps, a, a few steps toward seeing a new Memphis come, to, come about. New Memphis, that, that language. You undoubtedly remember April 3, 1968. Dr. King here in Memphis giving his very famous uh, I've been to the mountaintop speech. Most of us remember the end where of that speech where King says he he's, may not get to the promised land, but that's all right because he's, he's been to the mountaintop. And that final paration that, that moves the congregation at Mason Temple to, to praise and applaud and, and so exhaust King that he, that he falls back into the preacher's arms and they lead him to a chair to sit down. But, but right before that final paration, King actually spoke to the preachers in the room. And in speaking to the preachers, he picked some of them out to praise, especially James Lawson, who was so instrumental in those days. But then King said this. He said to the preachers, it's all right to talk about long white robes over yonder and all of its symbolism, but ultimately people want some suits and dresses and shoes to wear down here. It's all right to talk about streets flowing with milk and honey, but God has commanded us to be concerned about the slums down here and his children who can't eat three square meals a day. It's all right to talk about the new Jerusalem. But one day God's preacher must talk about the new New York, the new Atlanta, the new Philadelphia, the new Los Angeles, the new Memphis, Tennessee. That's what we have to do. Why can't we talk about the new Memphis? We can talk about it because, friends, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And God's mission for us is to declare this amazing, transforming grace that changes our characters, yes, but also changes our callings and our cultures, and yes, nudges us a few steps toward seeing our city made new. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we know that this is not possible for us. It's because you have made us 
the salt of the earth, and you have made us the light of the world. It's yet not I, but through Christ in me. That, that's the only way any of this is so. And so, Lord, please, we pray, remind us again and again of your great and abiding love for us, your great grace that you've shown to us, but also this task that you've given to us to serve as your hands and feet and mouth to a needy world. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.